Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's a great pleasure and an honor to welcome MJ Pangman to the show today. MJ Pangman is an author, a speaker, and a freelance writer in the field of complementary medicine. She is the co-author with Melanie Evans of a book called Dancing with Water, The New Science of Water, A Guide to Naturally Treating, Structuring, Enhancing, and Revitalizing Your Water. And since the year 2000, and I suspect before that, she observed the powerful effects on water with her own body and has done a massive amount of research on the subject of structured water. During 2003 and 2004, she worked with the Korean scientist, Dr. Mushik Jeon, to summarize his 40 years of research on the molecular structure of water and helped to make his book, The Water Puzzle and the Hexagonal Key. And she also published her own book, Hexagonal Water, The Ultimate Solution, documenting the emerging science in favor of the biological significance of structured water. She got her master's in plant science, and when I asked her about her credentials, she insists she's a layperson. She puts through a quite interesting synthesis of the natural sciences in her understanding of chemistry, biology, and quantum physics. Her ability to explain the complex and simple terms makes her writing very unique and enjoyable to read. In the many segments that I've done on water, this one really puts it all together quite beautifully. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome MJ Pangman to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this book. In my first radio show of It's Rainmaking Time, when I went from television to radio, I invited international dowser Bill Cox and learned a lot about primary water and then did a show with five scientists later that year on water and learned about the spin of water and also learned that water had memory, which meant to me that water has consciousness. That was so remarkable. And then when I learned that you can remove contaminants from the water, but the water retains the memory of the frequency of those contaminants, that blew my mind. And then finally, when I read your book, Dancing with Water, The New Science of Water, it completes and adds a whole other paradigm about water and structuring water. And there's so much I want to talk to you about today. So I'm excited about this subject, as you can tell. (laughs) Very good. I'm glad that people are getting excited about water. The first revelation I had is that energized water is hydrogenated water, and hydrated water is hydrogenated water, water containing large amounts of hydrogen. Now, I'm bringing the synthesis in after reading your book. Is that true? And if it's true, what does this mean to us? That is a huge question. I only asked the small ones first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, structured water. This is the water that we're talking about. And, you know, I guess we have to give a little bit of background to your audience first. The book is about creating a liquid crystal out of water. Water's natural, beautiful form is that of a liquid crystal. It's very organized. It has a pattern that repeats geometrically, which explains why water has memory, which explains why water is the basis and the foundation for life. Water transmits information. It carries signals, and it's able to store information. This is the memory of water. 
structured water is water that's in this form, that's able now to go beyond what most of us experience when we allow water to come out of the tap. Water that's structured has the capacity to carry more hydrogen and more oxygen. And hydrogen is what hydration is all about. That's why it's called hydration. It's because we're really getting hydrogen into the body. One of the things we talk about in the book is Dr. Albert St. Georgii's work where he exposed the fact that it's hydrogen that is the source of energy in the human body. We think about food. We think about calories. We think about ATP. But it's hydrogen that is ultimately the source of energy in the human body. So when you structure water, yes, you make hydrogen more available, and hydrogen really is the key, and I hope that answers your question. I read Dr. Batman G's books on your body's many cries for water and about the whole realm of hydration, and I think that a lot of people then started to drink more water, but then you have to get into how do you purify the water And then once you purify it, how do you make it more vital to us? Now, you immediately in the book brought in Victor Schoberger's work about implosion. And I really would like you to talk about what that is and why that's relevant to making water vital to us. Well, Victor Schoberger was this amazing naturalist, scientist without scientific training. And, you know, I say that, but that's not really true because he got his training from Mother Nature, and that's the true science of life. And so Victor Schauberger was this very astute naturalist who brought wonderful information to us. Some of it, only some of it, has been preserved because much of his work was destroyed. But he helps us to understand a very general concept about energy in the world, and he speaks about two forms of energy implosion, if you can imagine the word im as energy coming in, energy being drawn together to a central place, versus explosion, which is throwing energy outward like a bomb that explodes, or a combustion engine which works the same way. These are the two ways that nature uses and plays with energy. One is a gathering, that's implosion, it's a gathering of energy. And gathering happens with spiral movement. This is one of the things Victor taught us. When anything moves in a spiral, it can either be throwing energy out. We talk about that in terms of a washing machine, that when the water spins out, when you kind of dry those clothes out, you can spin that energy outwards in an explosive fashion, or you can gather it inwards in an implosive fashion. So what we're all about here is with uh, spiral movement, gathering that energy in, in an implosive form. That's what nature does. Nature does this in galaxies. Nature does this in the spiral of your DNA. It's gathering energy. And, you know, one of the interesting things that we discovered in the research of the book was that whenever there's a vortex created, whether that's the vortex that's created when an electron spins or when a galaxy spins, gathering that opening that happens in the vortex gathers cosmic frequencies, gathers frequencies from the universe that support life. So there's so much more going on here when water moves than we've ever looked at before. One of the things you talked about regarding Victor Schoberger, too, is that 
and you're going to have to say this correctly, but my understanding is that when water moves through pipes, it becomes stale and stagnant. And the life-giving energy, implosion spirals or implosion vortices cannot form. Is that true or is that not true? Well, that's true to a great extent. depends on the nature of the pipes. But generally speaking, one of the things that Victor discovered in his work was that when water goes through straight pipes, there is a huge amount of resistance that is experienced by the water. He also discovered that when you allowed water to spiral through an enclosure, so he created spiraling pipes, if you will. I mean, they were still pipes, but they allowed the water to naturally curl inward, which is what water does. Every time water hits a rock, it curls, you know. It creates this little tiny miniature wave, and it curls inward. This is water's natural way, but in a straight pipe, water's not allowed to do that, and so it experiences a great amount of resistance. When water is allowed to go through spiraling pipes, the resistance diminishes until they could measure no resistance at all. Almost a negative resistance happened. If we were savvy enough to create those kind of distribution systems as we distributed water to everyone, it would require much less pressure and it would not disrupt the electromagnetic field around water. Essentially what happens when water is forced through a straight pipe is that all of its energy gets stripped away from it and left in the pipe. That's hard to kind of comprehend, but you can almost feel that as you hear it described. Going through this with all this resistance, you're stripping the energy away. And water naturally as she moves is always giving and taking. Kim, this is one of the themes in the book. We talk about balance. We talk about the yin and the yang of life and nature. And water is always giving and always taking. It's always this balance of yin and yang, give and take. And that theme runs through the book. One of the things I liked about the book, which I told you before we got on the phone today, is that as you describe and introduce the new science of water, you also talk about the spiritual side of water, but you never stray from the science of it, which I appreciate. Because you could tell me all the poetic and beautiful things about water, which I would agree with, but the practical side of me would still be longing for the scientific side, which you're addressing. Can we go back to the implosion part for a moment? Sure. Why is implosion water better for you? When water is allowed to move this way that we've been talking about, it's gathering cosmic energy. This is also the way that water dispels frequencies that are negative or polluted or contaminated. Everyone knows that rolling water cannot remain impure, right? And it's because of this spiraling implosive action. I didn't know that at all. Okay. When water moves, the movement helps water to maintain or create this liquid crystalline matrix that we're talking about, this matrix that really doesn't hold negative information. It doesn't hold pollutants. It doesn't hold dissolved substances. In a very big way, contaminants must drop out of structured water that's truly structured. This goes beyond some of the things that originally we talk about. We talk about refining the structure of water. So there's even different levels of structured water. With lots of pieces of equipment and even stirring the water, you can create a basic structure in water. But then as water is allowed to be refined, and we talk about this later in the book, 
it's not capable of holding even minerals that are not in a biological form because they cannot be held within that refined structure of the water. You've got this repeating molecular pattern and there are certain things that won't fit in that pattern and those are contaminants. And so when you do things to water that refine its structure, contaminants must drop out and then you can filter them much more easily from water. So there are many levels to this concept and it's much more difficult for water to hang on to uh, negative patterns and pollutants when it's structured and that's why water moves in nature. I want to talk a little bit about coherence because you wrote a bit about it. What is coherence and why is it relevant to water? Coherence refers to technically a fixed phase relationship between particles or molecules. And so when we talk about this matrix that's created, this liquid crystalline repeating pattern in water, it's hard for people to imagine that because water's moving. It's dynamic. It's always moving. But it's the kind of pattern that even though it moves, these molecules can move together. And the best example of that is like a school of fish in the ocean. Those fish are moving exactly in the moment together. They are a coherent body. And the deeper we get into life and the more we understand that everything that's living, that's healthy, is operating as a coherent structure. It's the coherence that really is our definition of life. When something is unorganized, life force doesn't flow through it. But when molecules in a human body or in a glass of water are organized, they're coherent, they're working together. They're individual units, but they operate together. And a healthy human being is a coherent organism as well. And this is all being proven now by some very cutting-edge scientific work, and we reference some of that in the book. You have a lot of references in the book, by the way, which I appreciate a lot. The Meisner Field, I have a dear friend who's an inventor and a scientist, and he is constantly excited and discussing the Meisner Field with me. But I don't feel capable of sharing what it is because I'm not sure still what it is. Can you? Let's see what we can do in just a general description of this. Okay. When something spins extremely rapidly, and we're talking about the kind of spin that happens with an electron, and we're getting to the place now where we really can't hardly talk about an electron as a particle anymore because it's really not. I mean, it has characteristics of particles and it has characteristics of waves. And so, you know, our scientists are to the point where they're cautious about calling it either one or the other. So as our science gets deeper, we have to bring in new language to begin to describe some of the things that we're finding. Well, an electron spins extremely rapidly. And when anything spins that rapidly, it creates a Meissner field, which is an anti-magnetic field. If you placed it on a magnetic field, it would bounce off, let's just say that. And a Meissner field is critical in water when you get it very energized. It helps to hold the structure of water. It is responsible for holding some of these very tiny energetic what do I call them, particles or pieces, quantum groupings of energy, those are all held in and around the Meissner fields that are created in water when it's energized. 
And when you drink water that's that energized, it's like you turn on the light in your body. And that's what we're trying to help people to understand to be able to do is, you know, we really want to turn on the light in our bodies. We really want to enhance the coherence in our bodies, which, by the way, dispels as we age. We know now that there's a greater amount of structured water in a baby than there is in an adult. And so we want to be able to keep the water in our bodies structured so that we can keep the information moving rapidly so that the lights are always turned on and that there's somebody always home, let's just say. Aren't we made of water and salt primarily? That's it. Can we talk a little bit about Renee Quinton in the Quinton Marine Plasma and some of the things that you got out of his work? This was an amazing man, and like Victor Schauberger, he wasn't a doctor per se, but he was this amazing scientist who paid attention, let's just say. And his early work was tracing the evolution of life, and he had to go back to the ocean, and he had to look at what was in the ocean. Eventually, he extracted from plankton blooms. These are vortices in the ocean where plankton grow, The whales and the dolphins swim thousands of miles to have the plankton from these blooms. They bloom several times a year, but they're notorious in the spring, these plankton blooms. And the plankton exudes substances into the water. The salts are gathered very beautifully in the water. And ocean water is almost identical to the plasma in the blood and to the extracellular fluid. So... You know, the medical world creates saline solutions and you go in the hospital and that's the first thing that happens is you get a saline IV to keep you hydrated. But doctors admit right away that getting off of that is a very important factor once you leave the hospital because it creates edema and some other things in the body because it's all wrong. It's just sodium and chloride. Salts are an alkaline and an acidic ion joined together And in the ocean, you just have a plethora of salts that include all the minerals and all the acidic ions that are important for life. So René Quinton is how you pronounce this man's name. René Quinton. René Quinton. (laughs) Parlez-vous français. (laughs) There you go. He was a French scientist and discovered the importance of the salt environment within the human body as well as on the planet Earth. And, in fact, the solution that he sterilized out of the ocean using cold sterilization techniques, which are still used today, could be used as a blood transfusion. In fact, it was by the French army during a period of time. He took all the blood out of a dog, and the dog nearly died from the process alone, but then he put this ocean plasma back in the dog, and the dog came back with greater vigor than he had had and lived many, many years. So René Quinton and a group of doctors established clinics all over Europe and northern Africa in the 1930s and saved hundreds of thousands. That's not an exaggeration. I thought it was when we were doing the research. Hundreds of thousands of lives by infusing them with this ocean plasma which gives the body everything it needs. There's something about negative ions, too, that connects with this, isn't there? Once again, balance in nature is a positive ion and a negative ion, and that's really what salts are. They're a negative ion, negative acidic ion to a positive mineral, typically. 
and you must have the complete balance of those in your body to remain healthy. And this was Rene Quinton's work to show how important it was to maintain that environment in the human body, in our extracellular fluid, in our blood. So are you an advocate of salt ionizers, for example? Do you use one? Yes, yes. What do they do? Well, when you put heat with salt which is what these do, you know, you can either put a candle in a block of salt or you can have a light inside of a block of salt. These are the two ways I'm familiar with. Right. When you heat salt, you condense the water from the air surrounding it and you're actually ionizing the water. As soon as this happens, you're breaking water into hydrogen and hydroxyl ions. Okay, that's water, an H and an OH, or an H2O. But usually when water breaks down, it breaks down into a hydrogen ion, that will be the positive ion, and OH, which is a negative ion. Is a salt ionizer the same as a salt lamp? Yes. They break water down into its ions, and they release hydrogen and negative ions into the atmosphere. And there's lots of research been done about the importance of having ions in the air that you breathe. That's why we like going to the beach and we like it after it rains, correct? Absolutely. It's because the same thing's happening with the salt on the beach, you know. It's continually ionizing, releasing these ions into the air. There's lots of research been done there. You must breathe ionized air or you'll die. What do you think most of the people in cities breathe? Well, there's an overabundance of positive ions in the air. And once again, it's always about balance. And when you have an overabundance of positive ions, that's been connected with asthma, irritability. So is structured water a way to get more negatively charged ions in our body? Yes, absolutely. It's a way to get all the ions in our body. It makes them available because in order to structure water, you have to break down the unorganized groupings, if you will, of water molecules and reorganize them. That's what happens in the structuring process. You kind of have to break things apart and allow them to come together in this coherent liquid crystalline matrix. And in so doing, you ionize a tiny, tiny amount of water. But some of those ions, the hydrogen and the oxygen, end up then being more available in the water for use. And we need both hydrogen and oxygen. And we need them in a form that the body can take, and that's ions. On page 59 of your book, which I find the most controversial part of the book, you and your associate talk about acidity and alkalinity and acidosis and the alkaline environment. I really would like to talk about this because you and I live in a world now where there are many devices and machines that are being sold that are supposed to alkalize the water, which is supposed to be better for us and supposed to be alkalizing our pH, our body. But I did not know that Jonathan Wright had done a test on a 1,000 people about the acidity of the stomach and the work that he did relative to this. And I'd like you to talk about it as well as your other research on acidity and the alkaline environment related to water. Let me begin once again by saying life is always about balance. In the beginning, before I got into this deeply, I had this question in my mind about ionized water. Ionized water is where you split the water, like we were talking about before, between its hydrogen 
and its hydroxyl ions. So you take apart water into its component parts. Water ionizers do this. And then the minerals that are in the water attach to both of these positive and negatively charged ions from water. And so you end up getting an alkaline stream of water and an acidic stream of water. And a lot of people have recommended that you drink the alkaline water because it's going to neutralize the acid in your body. And it's really not quite that simple. So now with that little bit of background, let me go back and say, in the beginning, in my mind, I kept saying, what's wrong with this? Drinking only one side of the water, the alkaline side. And what's wrong with that is that it's not natural. Nature doesn't give you water like that. It's out of balance. And the deeper we looked at this, and we looked at this from a lot of angles because my co-author, Melanie, is an intuitive. And some people will understand that and some people will maybe not be open to that. But intuitives have some special gifts in what they are capable of seeing. There are a lot of people in the world nowadays that are telling us they can see people's auras and they can see deeper levels of things. Well, Melanie is one of those people who can see. And we watched what happened when people drank this kind of water. We also used methods that will scientifically, if you will, test the body's response to different kinds of water. And ionized water is structured water, but it's not coherent structured water. So when you put an electric field through water, because electricity is all about positive and negative charges, you force the water, which is a polar molecule, to break apart. You force it to ionize. You force it to change its configuration. So electrolyzed or ionized water is structured water, but it's not coherent. It won't maintain that structure for a long period of time. How do we know that? And do we know that for sure? You know, we used one reference in the book to a Japanese study who just said that their testing of the water was that it was unstable. Dr. Hayashi, right? No, this is another work, and I don't remember the reference. Okay. But it was a Japanese work, and they were working with ionized water, and they basically said it's not stable. That was the reference we used. It's hard to know that. I will tell you that we worked with a little clinic at one point in time who had galvanic skin response equipment, otherwise known as electrodermal screening equipment, and we tested the human body through this equipment and basically did our best to determine that the water that was ionized was only on occasion asked for by the body. And we talk about this in the book. There are places for ionized water. It can be therapeutic for short periods of time, but it's not something you want to do for a long period of time. It's like distilled water. Both of these forms of water, distilled water, ionized water, are extremely aggressive. Why is ionized water aggressive, though, to the body? And can I just say that a lot of people who are using these machines, which alkalize the water and ionize the water, will say that because we as human beings have become so acidic that this is a balancing function. You don't agree? It can be used for a short therapeutic time to to improve some balance, but it's not quite the way we think. Okay. Think of it in these terms. Everybody pretty much also knows that if you want to alkalize your body, you drink lemon juice. Right. Is lemon juice acidic or alkaline? Well, it's acidic until you put it in the body. Okay. And there you go. And so putting alkaline water in the body is not necessarily going to neutralize acids. It's just not that simple. 
okay? The reason that a lemon alkalizes the body is because it has an abundance of what we've always called alkalizing components. The whole world of acid and alkaline is really quite misunderstood. I'm not sure we can go into that deeply, but we're really not measuring minerals and calcium, magnesium, potassium when we're measuring alkalinity. We're measuring carbonates and bicarbonates. And if you got online, you'd look that alkalinity testing is measuring those components and not the minerals. So uh, let's just say we've been taken down a path and our understanding is not complete. That's very articulate. Do you mind if I read a little bit of page 76 on this to complete what we're talking about? Go for it. Okay. It says alkaline water hinders digestion. Digestion necessitates a hydrogen-rich, acidic condition in the stomach, and the pH of a baby's stomach is far more acidic than the pH of an adult's. This is because hydrogen reserves become depleted with age. 50% of people over the age of 60 are hyperchlorhydric. They cannot produce enough stomach acid. And for these individuals, asking the stomach to produce more hydrochloric acid, or HCl, following the ingestion of alkaline supplements or alkaline water is problematic. When the stomach is bombarded with alkaline mineral supplements and or heavily alkalized water, it must work overtime to produce hydrochloric acid. Alkaline minerals taken in excess require more hydrogen for the production of hydrochloric acid to further acidify the stomach. This slows digestion and it results in the removal of hydrogen and water from within the cells. And this is the last part I want to read. Dr. Jonathan Wright has tested thousands of individuals and found that digestive problems are most often associated with under acidity in the stomach. For hundreds of years, vinegar has been used to aid digestion. Hydrochloric acid supplements are often prescribed today for the same purpose. Both methods acidify the stomach and improve digestion. They provide H plus ions. And then you go on to describe that one of the most alkalizing foods is a lemon, and yet it's extremely acidic, what you just talked about before. But I thought that was kind of a turning the tables on what was my current understanding of why people should buy alkalizing and ionic water machines. I know it's a sensitive issue because a lot of people and companies are already invested in this. But as you said, which I really like the way you said it, it's an incomplete understanding. Hopefully I haven't offended anybody here, but pursuit of new knowledge requires some bold moves. You speak about physioelectric charges, and I want to better understand what you meant by that in the book. Do you mind explaining that? Piezoelectricity is a very gentle form of electricity. We think of electricity in terms of something that will turn on the lights in our house, and we use pretty strong electricity for that. But nature uses these very gentle currents that run your body and mine, as well as are involved in everything that goes on in this planet. Extremely gentle currents, and that's piezoelectricity. It's what makes a quartz crystal so unique and used in the uh, computer world. All you have to do is hold a piece of quartz to create this gentle piezoelectric current in a crystal. It's what allows a quartz watch to maintain its time so accurately because a little bit of pressure on a quartz chip or a quartz crystal creates this exact frequency that a watch can be timed with. So we're talking about very, very gentle current, because when you pick up a crystal, you've actually initiated a piezoelectric charge in it, but you don't see sparks coming off of it. It's extremely gentle.
those are the kinds of forces that are used in your body to conduct signals and whatnot, and we're creating that kind of current and using it in water. But we don't want huge voltages going through water because that is disruptive. But the mention of it was important because of what? Because when nature gathers all of these forces together, we've talked a little bit about the importance of water being able to move and that she always moves in a spiraling fashion. One of the other factors in creating the structure of water is these gentle currents. Electromagnetic currents are also involved in the structuring of water. Water moves. Even the movement will create some piezoelectric forces. But nature's minerals, quartz especially, generates piezoelectricity in the earth. So in the earth, there are telluric currents going on all the time, just like in your body. And these are important for helping water naturally maintain structure on the planet. And so that's why the discussion here, because we would rather see water structured with gentle piezoelectric currents and magnetic fields. That's how the earth does it. Very interesting. I was very excited to read about how you translated hydration as getting enough hydrogen. It's so profound. I want you to talk more about that because when I read that John O'Neill, the Australian decathlon champion, improved his endurance by supplying hydrogen in the form of huge doses of CoQ10, I thought that was fascinating. I know there's other ways to do that, but I want you to talk about that because that seems like new knowledge verified to me. There are a couple of other scientists that are looking at alternate energy pathways, all right? And that phrase might get somebody some interesting information on the Internet. This is a place I'd like to go a little bit deeper. We know this, as you say, is new information, and most of the world will go, What? But John O'Neill's book, which is not widely available, just happened to come to us during the, just happened to come to us. There are no accidents during the research for this book. And it really blew us away because it opened the door for this understanding of an alternate energy pathway. We talk about hydrogen as being a clean fuel alternative to fossil fuels on this planet. And it, it is. The only byproduct of burning hydrogen is water. Well, in the human body, the same is possible. And, you know, our research showed that the environment on this planet used to be very hydrogen-rich. We didn't say this in the book, but we wonder whether or not that's why life forms on this planet used to be so huge. Oh, that's interesting. An interesting theory, anyway. Will I grow tall if I have hydrogen-rich water? You know, I, it would be an interesting thing to pursue, but there are scientists who are looking at alternate energy pathways, and you know what? They're about hydrogen. They're about looking at hydrogen. So, yes, we're on to something, we believe, and we'd love people to take it from there. You know, part of what we did with the book was put it out there and say, take it from here. It's such an exciting book. Can you talk a little bit more about what John did? Aside from he took the huge CoQ10 doses, something happened to his performance that was quite unique. He had a cycle, a bicycle, I guess, I'm I'm assuming, like contraption, where you can monitor, I mean, it'll track the effort that you're putting out. I don't know too much about exercise equipment, but he had a piece of equipment. It was a cycling equipment, and he was monitoring his effort and respiration and all of these other things that he had the capacity to monitor. 
and he noticed doing several things together. Oh, I'm drawing on my memory now here, but he used CoQ10 as a source of hydrogen. He wasn't talking about water here. He had no idea there, but he was enriching his body with CoQ10 and doing some very specific exercises. And and he came to this point where after about... 45 minutes to an hour of vigorous exercise, which, you know, most people can't get past, he entered what he called this hydrogen efficiency zone. And all of a sudden, his heart rate went down, he quit perspiring, and he was able to just breeze through the same amount of output on this cycle, but without any effort and no fatigue, and there was no lactic acid built up at the end. We were just totally intrigued by this whole thing. Is he still alive? I'm not even sure. There was no way to contact him. It was one of these self-published books, we assumed. He documented his work very nicely. It just absolutely made sense. Now, there's other ways, other than huge amounts of CoQ10 now, to create a hydrogen-rich water environment. Can you talk about it? Well, one of the things we talk about in the book and tell people how to do is how to make hydrogen-rich water. Oh, I can't go into this in great detail, but there is evidence that taking in hydrogen-rich water, and there are some companies that have some products that are enriching hydrogen in different ways, and there is a certain amount of evidence. It's empirical at this time, okay? It's not documented scientifically with equipment, but athletes are saying, I get to this point where it's easy, it's effortless, and I don't have the lactic acid buildup that I used to. And so, you know, it's starting to surface some validation for this whole concept. But yes, we tell people how to enrich their water with hydrogen, and there are a number of ways and a number of products out there that will help do that. It was Dr. Hayashi, who you mentioned earlier, who who was the Japanese cardiologist who did all the initial research on ionized water. But what he came to find out was that it wasn't the alkalinity in the water, it wasn't the ORP in the water, it was the hydrogen in the water that made the difference. And he doesn't support ionizers anymore. You won't necessarily find that because all of his original work is what's quoted by the ionizer companies selling their ionizers. This is the evolution of how we discover things. He used ionized water therapeutically for a period of time, and he's a cardiologist, and there are also some studies coming out of Japan now that show, at least in mice, that drinking alkaline water long-term can cause heart problems. So, you know, it's just beginning to surface, and there's not a plethora of information here yet, but it's the hydrogen in the water that was doing all the positive things. I'm after the hydrogen in the water, not the ionized water. The last quarter of your book, you talk about literally how to structure the water, and people have a lot of different choices. One of the greatest concerns I still have is cleaning the initial water that you're then going to structure and refine. And I know that in the book you say, look, there's so many things added to the water from pharmaceuticals to chemicals and pollutants that are in soils to fertilizers that it's getting harder and harder to clean, isn't it? Yes, it really is a problem. I mean, you know, we wanted to be able to tell people, here's what to do, but we ultimately had to conclude we can't because every water supply is different and every water supply has got its own unique problems. And the way we handled that in the book was just, you know, a brief statement that says part of the dance with water 
is getting to know your water. And so you've got to do whatever it is to find out what your water needs in order to be able to be cleaned up. There are all kinds of filters that will take this and that out of the water, and every water is unique. And sadly, I mean, that's what we had to come up with, was sadly, it's so bad that everyone will need to look at their water. And, you know, there is an interesting product that I'm not going to name products on your radio show that is very exciting for us. And uh, For cleaning the water? Yeah, in a very unconventional way. Like I mentioned earlier in the show here, yes. when water is very refined, it cannot hold contaminants. There's a product that is doing some very interesting things to help those contaminants drop out of water so that a simple filter can take them out. You know, simple carbon filters will take out a lot of things from water, but they don't take out fluoride, big problem, unfortunately. And we've got an article on the website. That's where I'll direct people, Kim. We've got an article we just barely put up on the website. We have a tab of articles, and one is how to remove fluoride from water. Well, if you can remove fluoride from water, you can also take out some other things from water. It's a simple article, and it doesn't go into the depth, but there are some things that apartment dwellers and people that can't afford $1,000 pieces of equipment to clean their water can do to really get a good canvas, we call it, to begin with, a good canvas on which to then imprint the full spectrum of water's frequencies. I wanted to talk about the egg-shaped containers of water. Once we have our water cleaned, however we're able to do it, and we are able to get it structured, there's an egg-shaped container or pitcher, right, that we pour the water into. Can you talk about that, why that's relevant? Another article on our website will address this with some graphics, which we didn't really go into in the book. But it's one of the things that Victor Schauberger discovered as well. The shape of the egg is nature's gestation shape, you know. It's the shape of the womb. It's the shape of many seeds. It's the shape that holds energy. It holds energy and it draws in cosmic energy. It's based on the Fibonacci series, which we also discuss in the book, or the golden mean spiral, close to the same thing. This series, most people know, repeats itself in nature everywhere. And there's a reason for that, and its pattern then is implicit in the shape of the egg. The Fibonacci series, the golden mean spiral, is in the shape of the egg there. So the shape of the egg is nature's way to hold and gather energy. And it's perfect for the shape of a womb, you know, and a developing child. And and it's perfect in a seed. And I was talking to somebody not very long ago. They had visited India, and they still make these egg-shaped containers. Both in Africa and India, right? Yep. They're horrendous to try to store anywhere because they move and they tip over. But they still keep making these containers to keep their water in because there's a reason for it. And they use clay because clay breathes. So it's wonderful for for water. It allows water to breathe. It keeps water energetically moving all the time so there's no stagnation. It's gathering in this gestating energy from the cosmos, from the universe, This woman was saying these egg-shaped containers, they break, but they just keep making them. Well, why? Because they're so perfect. 
when you go into the pyramids, you'll find these amphora, they're called. They're shaped like an egg because they preserve the energy in seeds. They store their seeds that way. They're viable after thousands of years. Well, you know, hello. There's a reason for that. This is the shape of the egg, and what it does for water is very lovely. Do you have several in your kitchen? I do. (laughs) Do you have some in your refrigerator? Actually, I've got my rice and grains in them. Just a way to keep everything very energized. Wow. Can we talk a little bit about prills? I thought that was kind of interesting. That's an interesting subject. It's not something that a lot of people would necessarily be open to. Prills. We've got to encourage people to read this whole section on laminar crystal because prills are simply magnesium oxide. But the prills that are being sold for water treatment in the context of structuring water here are, number one, kiln-dried, so they don't fall apart so easily. They'll hold together. And number two, like you said, we have got a mix in the book of science and wisdom that's been handed down from the ages and, and things that work energetically. Like you and I know people have put crystals in water forever. Well, we explain why that works. And, it, you know, it's in terms of the piezoelectricity that happens in a crystal. It's also because of epitaxy, something I won't go into here, but the structural information in a quartz crystal being communicated to water. That's scientific now. So back to the whole prills thing. Prills are magnesium oxide. They're not really balls. They're kind of globular shapes, no more than maybe a millimeter or two. But when you put these in water, after energetically being enhanced, vibrationally enhanced, they help loosen water's molecular structure. Remember, that's the first step to structuring water. And they also um, have been used in the water industry to help drop out some contaminants. So there's a little bit of neutralization of contaminants going on. Magnesium. Big, big mineral. Everybody talks about calcium, but it's like the oxygen-hydrogen thing. We think we want more oxygen, but we really want the hydrogen in the water. And people are talking about magnesium and calcium, and they're thinking they need all this calcium, but it's really the magnesium the body wants. So they're magnesium oxide. They're releasing the frequency of magnesium into the water, which is wonderful. They're energizing the water. They're helping some pollutants drop out. They're loosening the molecular structure of water so that it can be structured. So it's part of everything I do for water is using those prills. It wouldn't be necessarily something everybody would pick up on through the book, but it's part of our process. I thought it was really, really neat and unusual and that we should talk about it. Okay. It is, you know, it's kind of one of those things that people may find on the edge, but they work. I also want you to talk a little bit about the time that you spend with Dr. Mushik Jean. Okay, Dr. Mushik Jean actually studied in this country under a very famous scientist by the name of Henry Eyring and did his PhD at the University of Utah in the 1960s. Those two scientists ended up writing a book called Significant Liquid Structures, something like that. That might not be the complete name of the book. But they really began in the 1960s this work that Mushik John spent 40 years of his life following to document that water had a liquid crystalline structure. I mean, it's only in the last few years that our own scientists have really kind of accepted this and acknowledged it. But Dr. Mushik John 
worked on his Ph.D. with Dr. Henry Eyring. They developed a number of theories, among them the theory you mentioned about the water environment within the human body. And he supposed in the 1980s he came up with this theory that aging and that health were all about the structure of the water within a human body. In fact, he gave a lecture at a cancer symposium where he met Dr. Albert Sangiorgii, who came up to him afterwards and said, you're on to something. Now, now Albert Sangiorgii and Dr. Mushik John were both mentors, if you will, of ours as we created this book. Uh, we call our mentors Victor Schauberger, although he was before our time, and Albert Sangiorgii also before our time. But Albert Sangiorgii told Dr. Mushik John, and we put that in Dr. Mushik John's work that Dr. Sangiorgii had said, if you can prove that aging and health are related to the structure of the water in the human body, then you're on to something. And we have begun to show that to a certain degree. Dr. Mushik John's work began to show that before he passed away in 2004. He did some initial work that basically showed that increasing the amount of structured water in the body had an impact on diabetes, on cancer, on digestion, he did some initial work there, just started to touch the surface of it. And so his work was very impactful for me because he, he was a scientist through and through, very academically published, 280-some academic publications in his career. He was a very well-respected scientist, and he was all over this idea that maintaining the structure of the water in your body was paramount to your health. So... You know, he was key in my background and my history with water. I know we're going to do this in two parts, but I would like to talk about the fact that after Dr. Emoto's books came out, he was kind of one of the people that was a prime mover in explaining how water responds to voice, to music, to what's said, to the environment, what people are thinking and feeling, and what it means to imprint your water. And one of the things you said in your book was structure your water first, then imprint it. And the first thing I want to do is have you explain what does it mean to imprint your water? And then why did you say structure your water first before you imprint it? Okay. Imprinting simply refers to this whole concept that water can hold information. So imprinting water is giving it information to hold. Water holds, gathers information from its environment all the time information in frequencies, in patterns. It gathers frequencies from the rocks that it passes over. It gathers frequencies from the sun. It gathers frequencies from the insects that are buzzing, putting these very high-frequency information into water. That's all information that supports life on this planet. And water was intended to carry that information to everything that's alive on the planet. We call this full-spectrum living water in the book. It carries all of these life-supporting frequencies and, and uh, information that water is intended to carry. So water is naturally imprinted all the time. It holds an imprint better when you've already given the basic structure to water. When you've created the matrix that allows the flow and the storage of information already in water, then the frequencies you give to water are able to be held once again 
part of that is about this Meisner field that you're so enamored with. I'm very enamored with the Meisner field. <laughs> Helping to hold the information in water once it's there, and you must have the structure of water in order for the, for the information to be held. And the Meisner fields around the spinning particles in water, the spinning ions in water, are a part of how this happens. And it's not well understood by myself or anyone else, really, but that's kind of what's going on there. So imprinting water is giving water the frequency of a stone or a mineral or giving water the frequency of a cricket chirping or of a bird singing. Can we take this a little into the practical? So let's say I have water with me and it's been structured. And now when we talk about me imprinting the water, can I say to it, it's rainmaking time? <laughs> can I say to it, I love you? I mean, thank you for being alive and thank you for healing my body. Is Thank you for being available to me to heal my body as you go into my body. I mean, what does that mean? Awesome. Thank you. Because this is where we really begin to dance with the water. And this is where we create a unique relationship with water and a partnership with water where we understand that water is a living consciousness and that she'll work with us as we acknowledge that and as we ask her to, just like you say, thank you. I mean, it was Dr. Emoto that did all this work that showed when you put a word phrase on a bottle of water that it impacts the expression of the water in its crystalline form. That's all he was showing us. It impacts the expression of the water. Well, when you interact with water in that way, yes, you are imprinting the water with your love. Now, you're going to drink back that love, enhanced by the love of the water, back into your body. Can you imagine the beauty of that? How awesome. That's where we want to go with this whole concept. So thanks for bringing that up. That's the dance, and that's the beauty. I like the name of your book, The Dance of Water. Yeah. I really like it. And I really want to invite you to come back for another segment with us to talk about the many different aspects or what we would call part two of your book, Dancing with Water. That would be fun. I want to thank you for being with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to MJ Pangman as we've been talking about her book that she and Melanie Evans wrote called Dancing with Water, The New Science of Water, A Guide to Naturally Treating, Structuring, Enhancing, and Revitalizing Your Water. It's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for this book. I really loved it. Thank you.